0: If you were to look at the words in the Bible and try to figure out what are the most important ones, the most impactful words that you will find, there is no doubt in my mind that love will be perhaps the most critical word that you come across. It just so happens that as we have been working our way through the first epistle of John he is known as the one whom Jesus loved. John writes about love more probably than any other individual author in Scripture. John, 1 John, Second John, Third John is all about love. And of course, he wrote what is perhaps the most famous verse in Scripture, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. And as we view Jesus, in his words, he proclaims that the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, but the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so with all of this emphasis on love, it's really critical that we understand what that means. Not as the world tells it to us, but as God himself tells it to us. I don't think it's coincidental that we find ourselves here looking at the fourth chapter of of 1 John when Christmas is right around the corner. Because as we seek to understand what love truly is, We see between the combination of Christmas and Easter, the greatest example of it. And so I want to spend a little time today talking about how Jesus and his life, as we look at it, is the embodiment of the love that we are called to model. Scripture tells us, our reading for today tells us, God is love. And so we must look at God to understand love. And so the first thing I want you to understand as we approach this celebration of Christmas, this commemoration of the day, we don't know exactly what day, but we're going to celebrate it in about a week, that God became flesh, God incarnate. And that act alone, for us to really appreciate what it means, requires us looking in two different things. Because what does it mean for God to become flesh? What does it mean for God to come and dwell among us? Pleased with men as man to dwell. What does that mean? Well, the first thing is we need to understand what did he leave to come to? Because we can't understand the depth of the sacrifice until we first understand what he had. And so I wanna draw your attention to the book of Revelation. Because there we get a picture of what the throne room is like. And I just want to read this to you so that you can hear it. But Revelation chapter 4 says this, and and I apologize. Some of my readings today are going to be a little lengthy, but Scripture tells it better than I can. And so let me read to you Revelation chapter 4. John writes, And after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated in them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. My friends, baby Jesus could have been born in the presidential suite of the Ritz-Carlton with the leaders of the most powerful nations on this planet, there to welcome him and to adore him. And that still would have absolutely paled in comparison to sitting on the throne, being worshipped and adored by heavenly creatures, acknowledged for who he truly is. He left behind the throne in heaven, to come here. Think for a moment, if you will, about the encounter that the rich young ruler had with Jesus. Jesus finally says to him, after this man is convinced that he has followed God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, he says, great, no problem, just one thing you lack. Take everything that you have sell it, and give it to the poor, and then come, follow me." Was he asking that rich young man to do anything more than he hadn't already done? I promise you this, he could say to Elon Musk today, a man worth 200 billion dollars, Elon, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me, and you will still not have come anywhere close to what Christ gave up to follow the will of God for us. What did Christ give up to come down here to be born? We can't even imagine what he gave up. All we know is you could give up everything on earth and it still wouldn't come close. So that's what he left behind. But we know the story, don't we? So we know that Jesus didn't come down here to be born in the presidential suite of the Ritz-Carlton. He didn't come down to be adored by the leaders of this world. He came and was born in a manger. God sent the lowliest, the shepherds, to come and testify to the birth of the Messiah. Not men of power, women of power, but those in the lowliest of settings, not the most comfortable bed known to man, but on a manger, something fit for beast. (laughs) He gave up an awful lot to come. But that's only half of the equation because Jesus being God incarnate didn't just come knowing what he was giving up he knew what he was coming to take on. If we were to understand the depth of God's love, what God's love looks like, for John tells us God is love, we have to know that Jesus came willingly, freely understanding what he was taking on. And frankly, the prophet Isaiah writes clearly about that. Let me tell you, What he wrote, Isaiah chapter 53, it's known as the suffering servant. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that had brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid him on him. The iniquity of us all he was oppressed and afflicted and yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers, shears is silent so he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away yet who of his generation protested for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he punished He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He gave up with something so phenomenal we can't even imagine. And what he took on is something of our worst nightmares. And somewhere between those two realities, is this massive chasm in which we find what love looks like to God. Understand, God knew all of that. He knew what he was leaving and he knew what he was taking on. He knew that he was going to go from being worshipped and adored to being despised and rejected. He knew that he was going to be going from a place where he was revered as the author of truth to a place where he was going to be condemned as the purveyor of lies and a blasphemer. He knew he was going from a place where he was being exalted as the creator of all that is, to a place where he was indeed going to be lifted up, but on a cross. And here's the thing that gets me the most about all of this. He did all this while we were yet still sinners. And that's where we need to get to if we're truly to understand what love looks like from God's perspective. Because some of you know I'm a volunteer firefighter. And that means that I am trained to run into a building burning, a burning building. We have a motto, you will risk a little to save a little, but you will risk a lot to save a lot. And so, frankly, if duty calls and I have an opportunity to save a life, I'm going to run on in. Knowing that I've been trained to do it, knowing that I'm wearing protective gear, knowing that the expectation is I can get out alive, but I will risk my life. And I'll risk it for any of you. I'll risk it for people here I don't know. I'll risk it for people here who I know don't like me because that's the job. But Jesus didn't embark on this journey thinking, you know, I'll risk a little to save a little and I'll risk a lot to save a lot. He didn't come down here thinking, you know, if I wear the right gear and judge things, well, I can get the job done and be alive still. He knew that there was only one way that the job was going to get done And the end result was going to be him on a cross. Now, I love my family. I love the ladies in my life. And if I knew that the only way to secure their names being written in the book of life was for me to go and be nailed to the cross, I'd like to think right now that without hesitation I would go. That I would offer up my life as a sacrifice so that my ladies would be safe. I love you guys. You are part of my flock. I'd like to think that I would do that for you too, but that's not as cut and dry in my mind as the first option. I'm realistic about it. Would I go to the cross for the people on this island that I don't know? Would I go to the cross for the people on this island who I know don't like me? That's what Jesus did. He didn't wait to see who was going to rejoice in him. He said, I'm going. I'm not really looking forward to it. And God, if there's any other way, take it from my lip. But if there's no other way... Then I'm in. God is love. And so as we look at this explanation of what God's love looks like, we are forced to look into our own lives because what John is telling us here is we must love as Christ loved. We must look at God's love and say, how are we doing in that reflection? That's what we're called to do And I know when I look at my own reflection, what I see is a person who's got a long way to go. Dying to myself, taking up my cross and following Christ. That's the call. I want to wrap up with this thought, though. Because Jesus did it. How did he do it? I want to suggest to you that Jesus was able to do it because there were two critical things that he knew that we need to know too. The first thing is this, and they are so tightly related, I might spill into one another as I'm explaining it. But the first thing is that eternity is a really long time. Jesus knew that better than anyone because he is eternal. And so what he understood is that what we experience here on earth passes in the blink of an eye. It is a wisp. It's here one moment and gone the next. And so you could live a life of 100 years and go through the greatest suffering possible for every single minute of every single day for 100 years. And compared to eternity, it's over like that. And because of that, we lean on the second thing that Jesus knew. And what Jesus knew was there is nothing greater ever, anywhere, than being in the presence of God in his eternal kingdom. It is worth any cost, any price we must pay. There is no place that we would rather be ever than in the presence of God. And if that means denying yourself, then deny, 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 because it's only for an instant. If that means suffering in unimaginable ways, then suffer. If that means pouring out love in ways that seem ridiculous to the world then pour it out, because an eternity in heaven awaits, rejoicing in the splendor of God. I can't imagine what it must be like to be in the presence of God that you can bow down and say before God, as those creatures were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, And then saying, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. To say that moment after moment after moment and rejoice in the truth of it and feel like you need to shout it louder. But I know that's what it's gonna be like in the presence of God. That we will never tire of rejoicing in him. That we will never have experienced a love more filling and complete than is exuding from the very essence of God that we get to experience forever. But because of that, Jesus can boldly tell us to pour out a love like him. Because this world will love those that it loves and do nice things for it. Jesus says the love of God is to lay down your life for those who would gladly take your life from you. John's letter is an exhortation to us to love as Christ loved, to love as God loves. And Jesus says it's all worth it. For that reason, unto us a child is born. Unto us a Savior is given. This Advent season is a season of preparation for the celebration of his birth as we spend this next week thinking about the Christmas to come. Ponder more deeply what God did for us, what Christ gave up, what Christ took on, and what he exhorts us to follow. That is where we will find the only definition of love that matters, in the manifestation of love, Christ our Savior. Amen. Let's pray.